Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. It seems uh, odd and appropriate on Palm Sunday to be finishing out our Lenten journey through the Beatitudes, particularly because of the strangeness of these words, blessed are the peacemakers. That that is precisely what Jesus is doing this week as he marches to the cross. He is enacting the peace of God in the world amid great destructive violence. I think there's a connection to be made between the previous beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, and this one, blessed are the peacemakers. To be a peacemaker is to do the work of Jesus in the world, animated by the Spirit of God, to bring things together that were ripped apart, to participate in the healing of the world. But true peacemaking doesn't mean merely that I won't kill you. It means that my heart has been transformed by Jesus so that now I am in a scandalous way for you. For you, even if you are against me. For you, even if you're against another. For you, even if you're against God. For you, even if you're against yourself. To be a peacemaker in the way of Jesus means having been transformed in the deep heart toward another. It means I am committed to the kingdom of God in a, in a way that enacts a healing and a wholeness that is impossible unless Jesus is the reconciler that Jesus claims to be. I think there's another connection, though, to being pure in heart and being a peacemaker. To be a peacemaker means that some kind of radical shift made possible by the Spirit of God has happened in our heart that we have been healed ourselves, that we have found peace in our deep self. There's a 5th century commentary from an early Christian community on the Gospel of Matthew, and this is what the commentary says around this verse. But some may be thought to be peacemakers who make peace with their enemies, but remain heedless of evils within. They are never reconciled in heart with their own internal enemies. You know, if we have not made peace with our own heart, if we have not been healed of our own fears, our own terrors, our own wounds, if these things haven't happened, if there's not peace in our soul, it is nearly impossible to enact peace in the truest way in the world. And this is precisely what 
someone who has been made pure in heart by a deep devotion to Jesus, this is the kind of work that happens. There is a healing and a peacemaking in our own soul that then we can offer to the world. And no wonder our attempts at peace in the world are often so shabby because there isn't peace in the soul. But this posture, like all the other postures in the Beatitudes, is massively vulnerable. To live in such a way like Jesus will often mean that we are exposed with no solid place to stand, no easy way to situate ourselves safely within the existing power structures. This way of Jesus' peacemaking will often get you killed precisely as it got Jesus killed. The very next beatitude tells us we can expect persecution for our commitments to God's righteousness and justice. And Jesus, multiple times in the Gospels, tells us really unfortunate news, that following him will often mean we're hated by everyone. Now, we don't talk about this very much, but there is the very real possibility that following Jesus in certain moments of our lives, certain places in our existence will lead to great disruption. I remember my grandpa sitting me down and I don't even remember how old I was. I don't remember the conversation that led to it, but he was really wise and he existed in the same world that I existed in sort of theologically growing up. And I remember him sitting me down one time and telling me, when you need to remember as you get older, compromise is not a dirty word. Now, that might sound like, you know, pedantic advice, but in the world I came in, that, the word compromise was like, it was evil. There was something that my grandfather was trying to encourage me toward. He also told me, oftentimes you'll find truth in between extremes. I wonder, I wish I could go back in time and have a conversation about what exactly he was grappling with then. What was leading him, to him wanting me to really see this? But if oftentimes truth is between extremes, then it does mean you're going to get hit by both sides. And yet, peacemaking, peacemaking also makes us vulnerable because it is not merely moderating between positions, just sort of finding some kind of magical equilibrium. Peacemaking often requires speaking against wrongs, calling evil evil. You cannot make peace by ignoring what has been ripped to shreds. To make peace is not to pretend that evil does not exist. It is rather to do something far more difficult. It is to heal that evil. Peacemaking is God's confounding creativity in action. Peacemaking, at least the type enacted by Jesus, brings about an entirely new possibility where wrong is named and confronted and where the very ones who are sworn enemies discover, if they will hear it, a new possibility of friendship, mutuality, wholeness. The shalom or peace that arrives through Jesus requires us to refrain from the self-righteous brand of anger that too easily makes us the righteous ones and some other person the evil one. 
To be a peacemaker is to refuse to operate by the power plays of the world, to refuse the weapons of antagonism, dehumanization, violence. Because Jesus' peacemaking is not settling the score, but reconciling what was torn asunder, it is the creation of something new. Several of us, uh, I think it was last Sunday, watched uh, the documentary that's come out recently about Wendell Berry. And in a number of his poems and essays, he, he uses this metaphor of divorce. And he talks about how in our world, it, is, it exists in this constant divorce, things being ripped apart that are meant to be together. The land and community, friendship, relationship, our resources and the way we work in the world and how there's just constantly, these things are constantly being ripped apart. And the person interviewing him said, well, what are we to do about this? How can we put together all these things everywhere that are being ripped apart? And he's, oh, oh, you can't. You're to take two things and put them back together. Not all things, just two things. In the way of Jesus, it seems that we are a people who are constantly looking for those two things that are in our sphere, that are ripped apart, and we are called by Jesus in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit to begin to participate in putting them back together. And in this vulnerable and courageous action as peacemakers, we will be called children of God. This probably means a lot of things, but at a minimum, it seems like the world will actually, in that act, recognize us as the children of God. You're a healer. You're not playing by the rules as, the, as it's been defined. You're doing something different. You must be the child of God. Wasn't it Jesus who said, this is how the world that know that you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. And a, a lover is at their heart a healer. One of the lens that I look through when I try to think about my actions in the world, and I used this lens a lot last summer, is my action have reconciliation as its aim and its end? Is my posture a scandal to reigning ideologies? Does what I am doing flow from the Jesus who died on a cross for his friends and his enemies? for the oppressed and for the oppressor. No wonder Jesus knows that we need our final beatitude as well. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and, fair, and fairly falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's not that we need to seek persecution. It's like all the other beatitudes. If Jesus is Lord, and if in the strange economy of the kingdom, we are blessed even in these vulnerable places, we do not need to fear persecution. We don't need to fear feeling like an outsider. 
We are free to be loyal to Jesus in the kingdom of God. We are free to be disliked. We are free even to be harmed or estranged or pushed to the margins. Because these things don't hold ultimate power over us. We are free to go and stand next to those who are being oppressed without fear of the oppressor because Jesus is Lord. Jesus was put to death by both the religious powers and the empirical powers. If nothing we do ever puts us in conflict with any reigning ideologies, I am very uncertain if we have heard the call to the kingdom of God. Just yesterday, we remembered the 38th anniversary of the death, the martyrdom of Oscar Romero, who called on Salvadorian soldiers during a time when the government was uh, violently oppressing many in the country. He called on many of the soldiers, he was the Archbishop of San Salvador, to be more loyal to their Christian convictions than they were to the orders. And 38 years ago yesterday, as he raised the Eucharist cup and was leading the Eucharist, he was gunned down. And you might think, well, what difference was his life? Was he truly a person enacting the peace of God? I, I love these words from him. It helps now and then to step back and take the long view. The kingdom is not only beyond our efforts, it is beyond our vision. We accomplish in our lifetime only a tiny fraction of the magnificent enterprise that is the Lord's work. Nothing we do is complete. Which is another way of saying that the kingdom always lies beyond us. No sermon says all that should be said. <laughs> Isn't that true? No prayer fully expresses our faith. No confession brings perfection. No pastoral visit brings wholeness. No program accomplishes the church's mission. No set of goals and objectives includes everything. That is what we're about. We plant the seeds that one day will grow. We water seeds already planted, knowing they hold future promise. We lay foundations that will need further development. We provide yeast that affects far beyond our capabilities. We cannot do everything, and there is a sense of liberation in realizing that. This enables us to do something, and to do it very, very well. It may be incomplete, but it is a beginning a step along the way, an opportunity for the Lord's grace to enter and do the rest. We may never see the end results, but that is the difference between the master builder and the worker. We are workers and not master builders, ministers, not messiahs. We are prophets of a future that is not our own. But the future is God's. And the cross of Jesus is the very place that we are walking to this week. And it is the very place where this strange, beautiful, power, potent, potent possibility of the peacemaking of the world, where enemies are brought together, where wrongs are righted. 
This is the future that God has named to be true and has already begun to enact in the cross and possible in the resurrection. And this is true in Jesus, and it is true for us if we'll have it. So it's why as we conclude these Beatitudes, I want to remind you that Jesus is actually the poor one who offered his entire self stripped of every dignity. Jesus is actually the weeping one who took into himself the world's sorrows. Jesus is actually the meek one who surrendered his power so that he could heal and redeem and free. Jesus is the hungry and thirsty one wanting righteousness enough to give himself fully. Jesus is actually the merciful one who extended mercy to those who hung him on a cross. Jesus is actually the one who is pure in heart with an undiluted devotion to the will of the Father. Jesus is actually the peacemaker who in his own body brought together enemies. Jesus is actually the persecuted one the one who was and is reviled and rejected. These beatitudes are not first what you are to go and do and be in the world. They are first what Jesus is and has been for the entire world. And we're invited to come and join Jesus in that very place. To love Jesus to welcome Jesus, to follow Jesus, to take Jesus' words and enact them the best we know to do in this world and to live without fear because Jesus has already shown the way. And Jesus has already told us where the story is going. And so we go with Jesus into it. Would you bow? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.